Hello and welcome to Paleo Cinema Podcast 249. My name is Terry Frost, and this time around, because he died this week, we're honouring one of the great movie composers and one of my favourite of all time, the late, great Michel Legrand. I was going to do an episode about two obscure, or semi-obscure Don Siegel movies, but it seemed right to honour Michel Legrand and play some of his music. I know I did a music podcast two podcasts ago, and I apologise for doubling up that quickly. But I think it's important to kind of mark this man's life and to talk about some of the groovy movies with which he had an association. So sit back, I'll get the contact details out of the way, and I'll start the podcast. Paleo Cinema Podcast is a podcast of old movie appreciations. There's only a couple of rules here. The first one is the movie has to be at least 20 years old, and that's a rule I break occasionally. And the second rule is I have to find some interesting things to say about it. Uh, feedback's very important to the podcast, so you can offer it a couple of ways. You can offer some at feedbackpaleo at gmail.com. You can go to the Paleo Cinema Cafe on Facebook. And also, no, you can send me an owl if you went to Hogwarts. You can even support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash paleocinema and donating as little as $1 US per month. Just be aware with the podcast, I may swear occasionally, so you might not want to let your kids hear it if you don't want them to pick up filthy words with Australian pronunciation. Okay, so how has everybody been? Uh, It's been warm here. We had one day where it got up to 46 degrees centigrade here, which was a little more than we wanted. We kind of wanted slightly less given that 104, uh, sorry, the 46 degrees is 112 degrees old school. Um, yeah, it got a bit warm, and there wasn't too much to do except sit under a kind of tepid air conditioner and watch some movies, which is never a bad thing, of course, but I, I actually had things planned for the day, and they didn't happen because of that. It's one of those things. Uh, I know people in the Northern Hemisphere get cold days where if you go out for too long, you can freeze to death. We have the opposite thing. On a 46-degree day, if you go out for too long, you'll dehydrate, probably get heat stroke, and if you're out and about without any shade or water, it can potentially be lethal. So we kind of played it very cool with that, and I did a little bit of video editing. I um, put out another video too. I put out another YouTube video, um, which was a trailer for the uh, YouTube channel. That's up and about, just explaining what I want to do with the channel and what kind of... Um, product and, and videos you're going to get with it so i kind of enjoyed doing that it was a nice simple one to do compared to the complexity of other ones also got an attempted copyright hit from mgm on the youtube channel for the father's day video i did maybe they didn't like the angle i was taking for father's day and how it's, movies have shitty fathers in them but uh they tried to do it today and i put back a reply saying it's fair use back off please and i hear by the end of february what MGM's response is because MGM for some reasons feels that it needs to hit a um, YouTube video that has had something like 246 views. So uh, they're kind of, you know, not punching upwards with that one and they wanted to monetize it and they won't make a set out of it because with a video with so few views, you can't really monetize it because There just aren't enough years to make it worthwhile. So it's MGM being an asshole, basically. And so I really thought I'll I'll push it a little bit. I'll see what YouTube does about it. And I'll see what YouTube says about it when I say that it is fair use, which it is under Australian law. And so we'll let them have a go at that. So what I suggest in the meantime is find my video on Shitty Fathers to celebrate Father's Day on the YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash C slash Terry Frost. And give it a lot of likes because those bastards are not going to win on this one. MGM's got a lot of my money over the years. And so they can treat me a little bit nicer than they have been in this particular instance. So time to move on to other things before I get too bitter and twisted about copyright infringement bullshit. By the way, as usual, we've got the 15 minute mark, the Richard rule 
saying that I have to talk about the subject of the podcast by the 15-minute mark on the podcast to keep Patreon subscriber Richard happy. And I'm fine too because it actually gives me some structure to the podcast. So thank you for that suggestion, Richard. And um, we'll honour that uh, into the future. So what have I been watching? I've been watching a few things. There are new episodes of The Good Place, which I watched. There are new episodes of Star Trek Disco, which I watched and enjoyed. Um, I kind of like the way they're taking Star Trek into the 21st century second decade in some interesting ways. And even though I'm still kind of welded on to the idea of a Star Trek as being a utopian universe or at least a utopian society in the Federation, I don't want them to fuck with that too much. I want the Federation to be a kind of flawed utopia, but one that where they've got a lot of the shit we currently have to deal with, dealt with, and so that we can move on to other things. So, yeah, I'm enjoying that. Uh, so what have I watched? I watched The Amphibian Man, which is a Russian science fiction movie from 1962 about a guy who transplants um, shark gills into his son's lungs because his son's lungs, are, his stepson, his lungs are dying, and he becomes an amphibious human being. It's very kind of slightly Beauty and the Beast. There's a pearl diver's daughter who falls in love with him and things like that. It's kind of quaint and cool. Lovely Russian set designs too, which is always a big plus for those kind of fantastic movies. And I enjoyed that. It, um, it's fun to revisit that. I revisited it because I did Aquaman for the ABC Radio. I'm back doing ABC Radio in 2019. And I'm doing it with Richard Margotson, who used to be on the morning shifts and used to be on early afternoons, but is now doing the evening shift. Richard um, makes me up my game. He's very meticulous about what he does. He's very well researched. Um, he expresses his opinions freely, which I love. I love that kind of push and shove. Didn't like Aquaman quite to the extent that I did. And the producer, he brought one of his producers on board to have a chat. And we kind of chatted through that. And we thought we'd throw another movie in there because after, with half an hour, you can deal with Aquaman in 15 minutes. So we talked about um, the Amphibian Man. So I did it for that reason. It's available on YouTube because Russian copyright is shit. So it's in the public domain in most countries in the world. And there's an English subtitled version, which is quite good. Nice print, and the English subtitles are on point. So you might want to check that out if you haven't already. I watched a big broadcast of 1938, which is a movie in which Bob Hope and Shirley Ross sang Thanks for the Memory. It's got W.C. Fields in it, a whole bunch of other people. It's a very silly movie. Martha Ray's in it doing some crazy acrobatics while she sings. Um, it was fun. Uh, there's some beautiful kind of Art Deco design to this movie because it's set on a couple of ships that are racing across the Atlantic because shit like that happened in the 1930s. W.C. Fields plays a couple of different characters, two brothers, and um, Martha Ray plays a singer. Dorothy Lamour's on there. It, it kind of works. Um, it was a bit of fun. There are some specialty acts, including somebody singing Flight of the Valkyries, an opera singer which is totally left field for me. And there's a little bit of an animated sequence as well, which is kind of weird. It's like they threw everything into a blender and just whipped it together into something that more or less resembled a movie. Um, none of it's to be taken seriously. W.C. Fields rides a scooter, which converts into an aeroplane. I am kid you not. And uh, if you haven't seen it, it's a bit of fun from the 1930s. It's nothing serious or grim. And a little bit um, kind of goofy. Lots of little in-jokes, little visual jokes that you don't get unless you know 1930s pop culture. I probably missed a lot of them as well because I missed the boat by 20-odd years on 1938. But uh, anyway, it was, it was a little bit of fun to watch. And revisiting movie history is cool. It's Bob Hope before Bob Hope became the mugging Marilyn Maxwell fucking person he became later. And uh, him and Shirley Ross singing Thanks for the Memory is quite sweet. It really is a magical little piece of song in cinema. And you probably should check it out. Um, I then watched, rewatched Scott Pilgrim versus the World. And um, Michael Serra's in it, of course, and uh, a whole bunch of other people. Brendan Ruth turns up, um, Jason Schwartzman. 
Yeah, I still think it's visually interesting, and um, it's it kind of works from that point of view. But it's a little bit shallow for me. It kind of errs on the side of being prosaic. Let's say, I'm sure younger people may get more of it than I did, more out of it. I understood the um, computer game analogies and the fun in that, but I definitely think it worked better as a comic than it worked as a movie. Um, Michael Cera, I think, doesn't have the, well, at least at that stage of his career, didn't have what it takes to carry a feature film. So that's just my opinion. I'm sure other people may well disagree with that. I then went and found a copy of a movie I've been looking for for a little bit for no really good reason. Uh, it's an Italian Alberto Sordi comedy called Fuma di Londra, uh, Smoke Over London, which uh, has Alberto Sordi playing a, an antique dealer from Perugia who's infatuated with British culture, so he goes to London and has adventures there. It's kind of like an Italian version of the adventures of Barry McKenzie in a way. And uh, it's not too bad. The print isn't fantastically good, but the subtitles are kind of, even though they're fan-made subtitles, really work. Uh, soundtrack, first class. It's by one of my favourites, Piero Piccioni. And uh, it kind of works. It's, it's a mad little film about somebody who's infatuated with another culture and goes there and has misunderstandings about it and doesn't quite get um, what's happening. There's a nice bit where he's trying to find somewhere to eat and he, all he can find is Italian restaurants in uh, in London and so he ends up going to finding an English restaurant and the thing they put on the plate in front of him is monstrously bad so he ends up eating Italian anyway. But yeah, there those little it's a little comedy of manners. It's part of that Commedia dell'Italiana movement that Ilso Passo is a part of, where kind of upwardly mobile Italians, middle class for the most part, get into adventures and, and kind of get out of their comfort zone. And this is very much part of that. It's um it's not too bad at all. Then I went to something that is pretty bad, which is Holocaust two thousand, a nineteen seventies Kirk Douglas movie which for some obscure and fucked up reason combines um, the return of Satan and the Holocaust, not the Holocaust as we know it from World War II, but the apocalypse in a sense, with the creation of the world's first um, nuclear fusion power plant, because those things go together so incredibly well. It's a fucked up movie. It's got some nice visuals in it at places, but for the most part, it's pretty ordinary and, and fucked up weird. So I didn't enjoy that terribly much. Uh, let's see, what else has been happening? Because that's pretty... I could talk about some of the movies that I've watched apart from that, but I'm saving them for the next podcast, so I'm not going to do that at the moon. I've been planning a rejigging of the Man Cave. There's stuff I want to get rid of and stuff that I need to tidy up because there are still piles of things around the Man Cave. It's a fucking mess, basically. But I've kind of been working out of my head where I want things to go and how I want them to be and how I want stuff organised. And I think I've got a plan in place. Done some sketches and things like that. It's going to take a lot of effort and a lot of moving around and shit and a lot of making more mess to clean mess. But, um, yeah, I really think that I need to kind of rejig this whole man cave thing and make it just a bit better than it is i also want to make room for my turntable i've got a fairly new turntable that i want to make room for and i want to kind of have it co-located with the vinyl and as things are right at the moment that's just not possible i've got a little table to put it on which is waiting outside the man cave which shows you how much shit i've got in here but i think that i can make this work and i've really got to kind of attack it as a project among the other projects i've got which are one YouTube video a week, a podcast a week, a radio gig a week, and all the other stuff that I'm doing. The YouTube channel, of course, takes up most of the effort. But um, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it as much as I enjoy the podcast and the radio. So it's just a matter of kind of time management. I have a lot more spare time than a lot of people, of course, and I'm really, really aware of that. But it still takes some time management to go, okay, well, I've got these projects to do this week. I've got to do it and um, no questions can be asked about it. I've just got to do these things. 
And I apologize, by the way, because this podcast is about half a week late. But with the weather the way it was and a few um, personal issues, I apologize for the delay. But I am going to catch up and get things on a much more regular basis. Time to start talking about Michelle Legrand because I've hit the 15-minute mark. But first, I'm going to play a piece of his music. And this is actually an Ella Fitzgerald rendition of one of his songs. From a long and lonely night Let someone start believing in you Let him hold out his hand Let him touch you and watch what happens when someone who can look in your eyes and see into your heart let him touch you and watch what happens No, I won't believe your heart is cold Maybe just afraid To be broken again Let someone With a deep love to give Give that Deep love to you And what magic you see Let him give his heart to you Let that someone be me Let him give his heart to you Let that someone be me Touch me and see Let it be me Let it be me, let it be me, let it be me That was Ella Fitzgerald singing Watch What Happens, which is a song adapted from the French from one of the great Jacques Demy movies, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, with music by Michel Legrand. Now, I liked Michel Legrand's music for decades. Uh, he was born on February 24th of February 1932, and he died on the 26th of January this year. He had made music, apart from being a jazz pianist and a composer and arranger and conductor, he did the score for about over 200 movies and television series which is right up there in Morricone territory, really. 
Um, he's done the people he's worked with is kind of impressively wonderful and wide ranging. He worked with Miles Davis and John Coltrane and Bill Evans. In France, he worked with Julia Greco and Zizi Jean-Mer and Claude Nugaro, Boris uh, Vian. He's worked with Sinatra. Uh, he did so many great movie soundtracks. He's worked with, um, he did Thomas Crown Affair, High Station Zebra, Umbrellas of Cherbourg and the Young Girls of Rochefort, of course. And finally, his music for... Awesome Wells, The Other Side of the Wind came out this year, which is kind of cool. He actually started making movie music in the late 50s and still in 2018, actually it was last year, so 2018, he still had a soundtrack out and he was conducting um, on stage up until last year, which is kind of impressive as well. Uh, nobody I know has worked with people like Miles Davis, John Coltrane, and then got up to Rufus Wainwright, Jamie Cullum, and Iggy Pop, except Michelle Legrand. And having said that, it's time for a bit more of his music. This is actually Legrand himself singing. I kind of like it because it's got a little bit of Charles Aznavour in it, a little bit of that kind of French chanson vibrato about it, which I always like in a song. Paris was made for lovers Paris was made for lovers Why else would Paris even be there? The little streets are charming The mademoiselles disarming And they're the reason you'll find me Paris was meant for lovers It's something one discovers You'll walk along the Seine And hear its song And love is all it's saying In that accordion playing Just seems to sweep your heart was made for romance Paris was made for romance Why else would songs be sung about her? Don't let the smile deceive you For if your love should leave you How lonely it would be without her was made for me and you That was Legrand singing Paris is Made for Lovers which came from a TV special he did in the 1970s along with two singers who I like a lot Matt Munro and Dusty Springfield. I'm going to play the Dusty Springfield track from that um, TV special just a little bit later, along with a couple of other people's interpretations of Legrand's music, whom I like. Um, yeah, that kind of works for me, that kind of passion and vibrato. It's right in my musical sweet spot. I know it's not to everybody's taste, but on the other hand, no music is. Uh, so let's go on to some soundtrack work that he did. And Michel Legrand did a very underrated soundtrack to a moderately underrated James Bond film because it wasn't canon James Bond. 
Um, it was the independently made Never Say Never Again with Sean Connery reprising the role of James Bond for the last time. And people say it's corny and shitty and not very good at all. But I kind of like it. I like Klaus Maria Brandau playing the villain. I like Kim Basinger playing the you know, main love interest. Barbara Carrera's in there as well. Bernie Casey turns up in there. I think Max von Sydow's in it. Rowan Atkinson turns up and he's embarrassingly bad. But if you compare it to the other Bond movie that came out in the same year, which I think was Octopussy, it's fucking genius compared to that because that was just a load of shit. But anyway, here is the main theme sung by Lanny Hall from Never Say Never Again. Never, never say never again. Never, never say never again. but she was actually a singer with Sergio Mendes and Brazil 66 back in the day. So let's move on to something a little more well-known from Michel Legrand, and that is his wonderful soundtrack to the Thomas Crown Affair, the original version, not the subsequent iteration, which is very much an inferior product. And I was trying, looking through the tracks and listening to them, I kind of came down to one track that really shows how Legrand could tailor the music that he made for a movie to the movie itself because with the Thomas Crown Affair Legrand saw a rough cut of the movie and did tailor the music to the editing style of the director Norman Jewison and that's nowhere more apparent than in the famous chess scene and here is the music from the chess scene from the Thomas Crown Affair it goes a little long but it's almost like a miniaturized orchestral suite because there are a whole bunch of different moves in this one. And if you've seen the movie, you know exactly what I mean. But there are changes in 
mood and, and in the levels of passion in this one and it demonstrates the scene to perfection.
Bond works for me on so many levels. You've got that dialogue between the piano and the harpsichord, and then they're bringing the strings and the horns. It just kind of plays wonderfully as a dialogue of increasing intensity between two people who are attracted to each other. Marvellous stuff. You can't get better than that in a movie. And it shows what could be possible when a composer collaborates really tightly with a movie's director and how they kind of interact with each other and make it work. And I think that Jewison and Legrand did that magnificently in this film. So I'm going to play now a song sung by one of my favourite singers, written by one of my favourite composers. It's sung by Scott Walker, not the American politician, but the one who was in the Walker Brothers and whose work I really love, particularly his earlier stuff. His later stuff's a little more challenging, but I like the fact that he went from being a pop singer of, with the Walker Brothers to doing covers of Jacques Brel songs and, and stuff by Michel Legrand and other people. He went on his own path and a lot of people didn't follow him, but I really love his stuff. And this is What Are You Doing the Rest of Your Life from a very obscure movie from 1969 called The Happy Ending, which starred Gene Simmons, John Forsyth, Shirley Jones, Lloyd Bridges, and Tina Louise. Now, I've just acquired a copy of the movie. I don't expect much of it. But the song, I kind of guess, is the best of the movie. And it is Scott Walker singing What Are You Doing the Rest of Your Life in typically wonderful Scott Walker style.
slash orchestration there. Uh, the song was actually given lyrics by Alan and Marilyn Bergman, who did a, won a couple of Oscars for Best Song in their day, and they're still alive. They were born in the 1920s, and they're still alive. I'm not sure what condition they're in, but it's kind of nice to know that those people are you know, still above ground. Let's just put it that way. And like I said, um, a good friend of the podcast, Morris, has said that um, Legrand's oeuvre has a kind of sad romanticism about it. And I'll agree with that. It's very much that kind of Gallic sensibility. He was born in Paris. He died in Paris. He lived there with some hiatuses in other places, mostly Hollywood. But he's definitely kind of brought French chanson and the sensibilities and the training and the cultural worldview of French chanson into Anglophone culture. And having said that, it's time for me to play the Dusty Springfield song, which is a little bit upbeat for a Michel Legrand piece and an upbeat thing for a Dusty Springfield song, but she really puts it across nicely. And it's kind of slightly frothy, but I think it shows a bit of Legrand's range as well. Just think about it The waves are always flying The seabirds always crying Where time means nothing anymore If I could, I would take up the sea Join hands with the sky I'd melt with the shore They're part of all I adore That's very different Dusty Springfield. Now I'm going to indulge myself by playing a track from Les Demoiselles de Rochefort, The Young Girls of Rochefort, which is probably my favourite movie right at the moment. Uh, so much of a favourite for me that I'm not going to watch it again for a year or two because I don't want to spoil it. So this is La Réveille des Carnionneurs, the arrival of the Carnies, from the start of... Young Girls of Rochefort. It's the um, carnival people who are putting on shows and things, arriving in the town square at Rochefort and setting up their gear for the shows they're going to do and the advertising of the boats and the other things they're doing. And I really like this because it kind of combines that kind of Francophile feel with some really nice jazz composition. And uh, there's some great dance in it as well. You really should check it out. But I really like the way that Legrand approached this and gave it a dynamism and a vitality that really carries the story. Okay. Okay. 
track on that soundtrack that I don't love um, I've got it on CD and it always I, I always kind of dive into it and find little nuances of music that I wasn't aware of previously even though I've heard it a number of times there are always little bits of work that really kind of make it endlessly interesting for me um, I was just like looking at the movie The Happy Ending that Legrand did the soundtrack to and I dismissed it just a little bit earlier here but I'm going to have to watch it now because Bobby Darren is in it. And I'll watch pretty much any movie with Bobby Darren in it. So, yeah, um, the things you find when you're looking for other things, that's part of the joy of doing this stuff. Let's move on to something which is more contemporary, but yet not more contemporary, which is a track called Les Delinquants, the, the Delinquents, which Michel Legrand wrote in the 1970s for Orson Welles' last feature film, The Other Side of the Wind. But, of course, because the movie wasn't put together until 2018, the music couldn't really be seen in context of the film. So I'm going to play that now because it's got a little bit of a feel like um, the soundtrack to Chinatown, but I think it was made just before that from what I can read here. If not, it's very contemporary to Jerry Goldsmith's um, soundtrack to Chinatown. But I think it's definitely got a lot of Legrand in it as well. So I'll just play that. And then I'll play a final track and we'll end this little puppy, this little kind of tribute to Michel Legrand.
Okay, I'm going to finish up by going really, really left field. When Sally and I were in Paris in 2004, the great French singer Claude Nougaro died. We knew nothing about him, but it was all over the news media we were watching in our tiny little hotel room just off Boulevard Poissonnier. And I picked up a couple of his CDs immediately at the local um, record store. And I liked him. I don't understand the lyrics because I don't speak French. But I love Nougaro's passion and the fact that he was very much um, a singer of the working class. Now, he did collaborate with Michel Legrand in a number of um, ways over the years. And Legrand did a posthumous um, album honouring Claude Nougaro called Legrand Nougaro, which I'm trying to find a copy of at the moment. If anyone wants to steer me in that direction, I'm happy to accept gifts. But there's a track which translates as Crying Children that Nougaro did with Michel Legrand. Uh, Legrand is playing the piano in this piece and Nougaro is singing. And it just shows the intensity and the passion of both of these guys and how their deaths diminish the culture of the world. So here it is. Les enfants qui pleurent, which very bad French, translates as crying children. Une mélodie de Michel Legrand sur un texte d'Eddie Marnet qui me touche beaucoup. Et je vais te la chanter. Les enfants qui pleurent ne sauront jamais ni compter les heures ni le temps qu'il fait. J'ai connu Martine. So that's about it for this little tribute to um, Michelle Legrand. Thanks for listening. Uh, I will be back with Martian Driving Podcast next week. Got a couple of things lined up for that. And with Paleo Cinema in two weeks' time. Again, if you want to check out the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the letter C slash Terry Frost. Uh, we'll be putting up some more stuff this week, but there's plenty of content there already. Uh, thanks again to the Patreon supporters as well, who support the podcast each and every month for pocket change, but it all adds up to help keep the hosting for the files going and all the rest of it. And again, you can be um, a part of that and get your name onto the credits, which I will now play. 
So take care of yourselves. Watch some good movies. Watch some bad movies. Stay warm if you're up north. Stay cold if you're down here. Or stay cool if you're down here. And I'll be back very soon. Here are the credits. And by the way, the credits are on the YouTube videos as well as proper credits. So if you haven't checked them out there, you can definitely do that. Here we go. Here are the credits for Paleo Cinema Podcast and Martian Driving Podcast. Done in a style of movie credits to honour the people who support this podcast. Thank you to Tom, the focus puller. Sarah, the special effects technician. Ian, the caterer. Grant, the technicolor consultant. Claire, the script doctor. Gary, the prop master. Morris, the musical director. Jan, the dialect coach. Arm and our key grip. Matt, the rattlesnake wrangler. Elaine, our scientific advisor. Julia, our casting director. Chris, our camera operator. Christopher, our gaffer. Miss Jane, our wardrobe mistress. Tansy, our foley artist. Alyssa, our location scout. Mark, our second unit director. Paul, our special makeup effects director. Tammy, the donut wrangler. Tim, our New York unit director. Rabbi Steve, our spiritual advisor. Uh, Steve Sullivan, our director of monster effects. Dylan, our goat wrangler. Eric, our set security lead. Richard H., our set photographer. Mark D., our extra. And David L., our extra. Kerry H., who is the accountant. And our newest supporter, Gary J., who is a CG effects technician. So thank you very much to all of the supporters of the podcast. I really appreciate you dipping into your purses and helping out with the podcast.